Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. And this week I'm pleased to be talking to Simon and Diane Cox, who are, uh, so this is part of our uh, occasional series that we have, getting to know some of our Church Society Trust parishes. So could you just tell us whereabouts in the country you are, what church you're at? Um, we're at All Hallows, which is in Bispam, which is right next to Blackpool. Okay, so it's not in Blackpool, but it's next to Blackpool. Yeah, yes. okay. Well, his, his, historically, <laughs> actually, Blackpool is part of Bispam. Oh, interesting. But a while ago, somebody put, lost all their money and ended up selling Bispam to Blackpool. Otherwise, it would be Bispam Tower in, in uh, Blackpool. Good, and I'm glad you said that first, because I think in my mind, I thought it might be Bispam, but it's not. It's, it's Bispam. Yeah. Okay, and could you just give us an idea of, of what your parish is like? What sort of people live there? Is it urban or rural is it is it all you know um ferris wheels and, and illuminations okay so um Bispham parish church is the oldest church in the whole of the filed coast um it was established we know that there was a church there in 1189 um and uh, there was a norman church built followed by a georgian church and then the current one is a victorian church it's likely that there was a presence there as much as 800 maybe the 800 years so yeah. The 800s, rather, um, because we have a preaching cross, which is generally reckoned to belong to that site. So Gosh. that would suggest that there was probably a wooden Saxon church. Unfortunately, it's bounded by two areas with Breck in the name, which is a Viking name. So apparently the Vikings probably would come along every Saturday night and say, hey, I don't know, just the wooden church to burn down. <laughs> okay. But it's, uh, so Viking raids. Right, Viking raids, that's right. So um, all the other churches in the whole of Blackpool are either the um, daughters, granddaughters, or great-granddaughters of Bispam Parish Church. When Blackpool was just a black mere, a pool, um, with some uh, some marsh and all the rest of it, that's the time when um, people had to bring their dead or bring or come for marriage all the way from the south of where, which is now Blackpool, but it was just a mere, yeah. with a great big lake in... Um, huh in a place called Leighton. So your, your parish presumably is not uh, now consisting sim- simply of a, a sort of mere and a, and a Viking longboat. You've got a bit more to it than that. Absolutely, yes. It um, be quite nice if we did still have the Viking longboat. Um, no, uh, all the lakes have been filled in, the water's all been pumped out, and the whole of Blackpool became a really popular holiday destination so that um, it became filled with huge numbers of bed and breakfasts and some of the very best entertainment um, in the whole of the country. Tower ballroom. Tower, I mean, that's yeah. basically all I know about Blackpool, no, is, is what that. I've learned from yeah. Strictly. <laughs> a lot of the churches, though, that were built subsequent to um, All Hallows were built huge for very large numbers of congregations. But the problem has been that actually, progressively, as people have stopped coming on holiday, you don't need such big churches. Yeah, so presumably the... If it was a place where, uh, for a while at least, the the local economy was largely built on tourism, that is no longer quite... No, it still is. It still is. But the tourism isn't as strong as it was. Uh, Hence the problem with our economy, really. (laughs) Right. So, So is it a place where there is a lot of unemployment now, or is it a place where people move away as soon as they grow up or yeah that's one of, that is one of the problems that children of talent have to go elsewhere um for their um their quaternary education if they want to go to university um and um they then tend to to not return and and settle somewhere else so that is one of the things that we find particularly people of talent. blackpool as a whole and bispam is no different to the rest of blackpool for this um it has a very um uh, skewed socioeconomic 
um, pattern. So there are virtually no people in um, in the Bs. They're all C1s. So that's a leadership problem for all the local churches. Yeah. Um, very few people of that category who would normally provide the leadership actually live in Blackpool. That's very interesting, isn't it? When, you, when you're dealing with a congregation where the, the sort of natural pool of gifts and talents Absolutely. is not... Yeah. what you would get in a middle-class context, how yeah. you then think about doing ministry and, and using the gifts that they do have. Yeah. You know, and clearly God does give gifts for the benefit of his church in all of those places, but it will look very different from perhaps what many of us are, are used to. So just tell us about the church. You, you talk about it being, obviously, this, having this very ancient foundation. Yeah. Has it traditionally been an evangelical parish? Well, as long as we know it's been an evangelical church, um, it, um, uh, it was built with um, uh, an unusual arrangement of two aisles, so it does not have a centre aisle. That's quite unusual. Mm. Um, and when Ooh, you actually... I mean, people having their wedding there must hate that. Um, no, the vast majority are very happy with it because we... we, we we teach them that they come in the bride's side with the bride's name, go out the groom's side with the groom's Aww. name, and so it's picked up the beautiful uh, transition. That's sweet, yeah. Uh, they like that. Uh, and, but funerals, we point out, do go the other way round. Um, <laughs> But uh, yes. but those two aisles actually point to the two key points. So whereas a centre aisle would point at the, if I can use inverted commas, altar. Um, so uh, when you stand at the back of our church, you don't get pointed straight towards the communion table. You only get to the communion table through either the pulpit or the lectern where the Bible is. Hmm. In other words, you only access the sacrament through the word. Very interesting. And um, so um, it is obviously a, a church society trust parish. And not all of our parishes have, have a sort of unbroken tradition of, of evangelical ministry for, for various mm. reasons, but it's really great when when there is able to be that kind of continuity. Um, tell us just um, maybe, Diane, about the, the congregation. How many people do you get on a Sunday? How many services do you have? What what um, We have an 8 o'clock service, which is Book of Common Prayer, and then at 9.30 there's um, a modern service, uh, with lots of families and older people it's a mixed mm. service um, and then at 11 o'clock there's a book of common prayer um, with hymns yeah um, and that is more uh, elderly con congregation and then at 6 30 it's a smaller congregation um, lively yeah great yeah so across all four a real mix of people of different ages and yes. different stages of life and and are they um people who are, are, are relatively well taught are they people who love the the bible are they um mature in their faith or what, what is how would you <laughs> yeah, either of you well i would say that um yes. uh, there's a good core in that church that are really well taught. That came up only recently we saw when our members were mixed with another church. They were all self-effacing and said, oh, we don't know anything. Yeah. And then at the end they were saying, really, we were really surprised how little the other Christians from other <laughs> churches knew, which just shows oh, that actually yeah. they knew a lot more than they that realized. That is interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's not obviously a game of comparison, but it's no. really interesting to yeah. people unaware, actually, perhaps how, of their own understanding and maturity. One of the most exciting things yeah. I heard recently um, was when the curate was preaching and he turned the page in the Bible because the passage went over the page mm. and the whole church rustled. Yes, um, and so they, 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 that's their custom and they know yes. that they're, re they're learning from the yes. word and they're pleased about it. That's really lovely to hear, isn't it? How long have you been there now? 25 years almost. That's <laughs> <laughs> me. Yes. Um, and so I guess over that time you have seen some, some changes, some things God's been doing. What have been the really 
great things as you look back over those 25 years that, that you can see God's been at work? Well, the 9.30 service didn't exist when we arrived. So, uh, I mean, I think All Hallows is probably ready for the next phase in its ministry. Um, but um, certainly uh, when I arrived, it was all Book of Common Prayer, mm. which is a lovely service, but it wasn't speaking to all the congregation. Um, we were in danger of losing, well, we were losing some of the uh, the younger congregation. So the 9.30 congregation was created. They're... Um, they use a projector instead of books. You know, it's all screen driven and so forth. Um, and it's very warm and welcoming to small mm. children who sometimes make quite a racket. Um, <laughs> and Diane, you mentioned the evening service also quite a lively service. Is that yes, a more recent is. development as well? No, I think they've always they've always had an evening service, but it has moved um, more to uh, it's moved to modern language. Mm. Um, uh, but it's a more of a teaching service as well. Okay. So people come there because they know the sermon's going to be longer um, and we're not working against the same constraints of time we mm. tend to have in the morning. Yeah, so if you've got multiple services in one place, you, you've got to be quite strict with, yeah, with time, haven't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what are the real challenges of, of working in a parish like yours? What are the things that you've found, um, yeah, that, that you've had to, well, to work uh, out and deal with? Until recently, one of the big problems was the sheer number of uh, occasional offices. I mean, at one stage, um, I think even when I inherited the parish, um, the numbers were already declining a little bit. But at one stage, we were certainly dealing with about 150 funerals a year. Goodness uh, me. 70 um, baptisms and around about 30 to 40 weddings. Um, now, that number has dropped significantly, and I think that reflects the um, the wider... Um, oh, what, what sort of size is how many people in the parish for, uh, to be getting those sorts of just numbers? Under, just under 20,000. Okay, so that is, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a substantial hmm. population that you're ministering to there. But, I mean, if you're doing three funerals a week... Yeah, three and a half, it works out. <laughs> you know, and, and a baptism every every week and a wedding every week. And, uh, yeah, hard yeah, to, yeah. to yeah. really And the preparation time. for all of that. Of course. So uh, I mean, you're not the only clergy person there. No, most so, of my ministry there, I've had a curate of one one shape or another. But even, yeah, with sort of two to, to spread yeah. that between that. And sometimes we, we've, we've also had the, bless, the blessing of a retired sure. uh, person. But one of the things that we've been very good at, All Hallows, I think, is um, we, we, we really do believe in the priesthood of all believers. So um, there's been a shared ministry. So we do have a team of readers mm. who are very gifted and talented um, and who are very dedicated um, mm. So the combination of the readers, the clergy, and then the other mem- the other key members of the wardens mm. um, and the uh, the treasurer and the PCC secretary, the team together, and and a, and a pastoral team as well who go out both for the funeral visits and for ordinary pastoral visits. The whole team working together. Uh, when we do the rota for the services, the sixty people on the rota with. You know, yeah, so people really re- getting involved yeah. and actually yeah. serving and yeah. being part of the yeah. life of the church. And I'd like more. Yeah, <laughs> well, we, we, there's always room for more, isn't there? <laughs> but um, but that's really great. When and when that is the the sort of culture in a church, that's much easier to kind of build on rather than having to sort of create that idea yes. from scratch yes. that that people get involved. What about um, in terms of sort of evangelism and, and mission? Have you? Uh, seen much over the years it's been effective and bearing fruit what have been the yeah i mean uh one of the curates came back after an absence you know to preach at a sermon and he uh, his his opening line was a lovely one for the poor but he said uh, as i look around i see so many faces that uh, i know and love and it's lovely to see you but even more excitingly about half of you i've never seen before where yeah. have you come from <laughs> that, and that, but that is wonderful isn't it yeah, you know so. we would hope that you know our churches aren't just the same old people but but new uh 
coming in in different ways yeah well the, the, the exciting thing about that is that it, um, it's something of a churn so we hadn't really mm. noticed you know because we do lose because we've got an elderly congregation as well there's a constant turnover with death yes um and the fact that we've kept stable numbers we haven't grown terrifically in the time i've been there but that reflects, but we're still at the same mm. sort of general numbers that we were when i started um, but the, the personnel are different. In. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, is it a relatively stable population around? I mean, I imagine it's sort of place that people are born there. The, the sort of elder, older folk in your congregation have been there all their lives. Is it that sort of generations and generations? Yeah, I think there? that's... Oh, a, yeah, yes. yeah. And certainly, um, although we, we are pretty well a good parochial church, um, over two-thirds of our congregation come from within the parish. Yes. The one third who come from outside the parish are almost universally ex-residents um, uh, in the parish. Right, so, so that people have a natural connection. They've moved anyway. out, and they're, they're still coming, coming back and keeping that connection because they love the church. You know. Great. So, what are what are the real opportunities that you see? Perhaps opportunities that you've uh, had a chance to develop, or opportunities that you can see. You think, oh, I wish we'd been able to to take more advantage of that. Well, one of the big advantages has been going into the local schools. Um, so there's five schools in the parish. Uh, one of them is Roman Catholics. Oh, sorry, six parish, six schools in the parish. One is a high school. We're, we're developing contact with the high school. We had good contact. It fell away when there was an atheist head teacher there. Mm. Um, it's growing again now. Um, obviously, the Roman Catholic school is the Roman Catholic's responsibility. Um, so um, there are um, four primary schools. Um, of the four primary schools, one is a church-linked school, um, but I have been going into every one of those schools for 25 years, taking an assembly once a week. So that's so almost every child growing up in the parish. Absolutely, more yes, or less. Yes, you know, other than the ones at the Catholic yeah, it, school. It, 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 when you add the number together over that churn period, yeah. it's over 10,000 children that, yes. are, that have had basically weekly Bible stories. Unfortunately, one of those schools, um, because they've had a change of head teacher, has pulled out. Okay. Um, but uh, that's only very recently. And yeah. We're, we're hoping in the long term that there might be a change of heart. Sure, again. <laughs> sure. I mean, but that is really exciting, actually, isn't it, to think whole generations of, of sort of almost everybody in the parish yeah. who will recognize you yes yes who will oh, have yes. <laughs> oh yeah who will have positive associations with the church and, and no doubt that contributes to your great numbers of occasional offices because you know people will naturally think of the church as a yes, place to quite, go for those quite things funny because um, as rumour has got round that I'm reaching the uh, the sell-by date for a rector, um, <laughs> then uh, uh, there's been at least half a dozen couples now have rushed in and tried to arrange their wedding really? before I go. Well, that's rather <laughs> lovely, isn't it? I mean, I don't know whether that's just, a, you know, afraid of who might come next. There's something very lovely about that, isn't it? You know, you're the person they've grown up seeing around, seeing in school, even if they're not church people, they, yes. they feel fondly um, towards that. That's really lovely. And as you look forward, so you, you hinted at that you are coming towards retirement. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, after, and 25 after 25 years, years long <laughs> service, I think that that's fair enough. So maybe this is an easier question for you in some ways than, than the person who's, you know, just started in a place has got to be there to do the hard work. What would be your hopes and dreams for the church if you looked ahead for the next you know 10 years mm. 15 years what would you love to see have developed there or grown or, or changed in some way well i think the first thing i want to say is that i think um over the last uh, 25 years the parish is seeded um so i still long and hope for 
a real turning back to God. We we had Franklin Graham come and join, yes. the, um, uh, and we were very much part of that mission. Um, we didn't. We saw a lot of people very supportive. Um, and very interested, but we didn't really see any um, major turning in our parish. We mm. saw in other parishes, uh, which were further down the line. So in a sense, you know, we've got that sort of saturation. But within our wider uh, um, uh, population in the parish, I think there's um, there's a seed in almost every home mm. uh, just waiting to be germinated. So I think if the next person has got that particular, if God calls somebody who's got that maybe almost evangelist mm. skill, um, I think there is a ripe field waiting There's to spread. There's a harvest yeah. to be said. Yeah. I think the other thing I'd love to see is um, a growth in the commitment to the midweek studies and, and house groups. We have, um, I don't know what, about um, about 25 people, they have 25 to 30 who go to the midweek home group, mm-hmm. uh, and that alternates with the Bible study. Um, and the Bible study has around about 15 people going to it on a weekly basis. But the substantial number of the people going of that 15 are either the clergy or the readers. Okay. So, which, which says something about them. Yes, that they want that's to put great. under the word. But, you know, but, I'd love to see that actually replicated. And mm. that's one of the things where um, sometimes we don't see quite as much engagement. Even but they are being fed on the Sunday. So yes. I, think, I think that's one of the things that they're actually sort of, you know, well, you know, we're getting well. And I wonder it. again if that goes back to, to something of the, the class thing. Those, those hmm. Sometimes the way that those groups can be set up can be very dependent on having a particular educational background or a particular yeah. age. And I'm not, I don't know what your groups are like or how that works, but I, I think there can be a challenge in how do we do that in a way that, that works for people for whom that's not mm. their, their natural Yeah, I think one of the equal problems there is, is, is how you make it stretching for people yes. and at the same time accessible. So maybe one of the reasons people are in the house groups is because the house mm. groups tend to operate at a le- slightly less stretching Mm. Um, uh, environment so yes how you push people really onto yeah. maturity as yeah. well as feeding yeah absolutely um, the the rest of the flock as I well. just want to see people enjoying taking up that discipleship mm. and, and taking on more responsibility yeah. not because the church needs them to but because they need to it's the same with yeah. giving you know that actually you begin to learn that uh, that wonderful truth that actually um, I'm giving because I need to, not because the church needs me to. Yes, not under compulsion, but yes. actually because God yeah. loves the church. Yes. yes, exactly. Yeah. Is there anything you would add to that, Diane, that you would love to see uh, the church grow or develop? Over the last few years, the number of families that are coming and all the small children running around church. Oh, lovely. Um, yes, and I'd like to see the, um, a growth in those families and a, a stronger commitment. Mm. I'm sure Dar would like to tell you about All Stars as well. Tell me about about All Stars. We have a group um, that's for primary age children and it was started by one of the curates uh, and it's just flourishing. And the children each week will sit in a big circle and pray out loud. And their prayers, they they just move your heart. Wonderful. Because it's just, there's no sort of for show and no yeah. it just yeah and the real. topics are wide ranging mm. oh. God, please look after my dead hamster oh, yeah. <laughs> we were thinking not quite politically correct but still <laughs> but it wonderful. comes from a, a real yes. faith and a real trust so, what a delightful see those thing. children um, mm. grow and actually it's it's so wonderful when you see you know the children with the the families with the young toddlers and the primary school age children but you know the 
we know, don't we, that often the hard time is when those children become teenagers. Mm. And yeah, so actually over the next 10 years for, for that cohort to really grow up in their faith. So I'm going to ask you, as I always do, we we do love to pray for our church society parishes. We pray in our regular prayer diary, but there's not always room for a lot of detail at that point. So this is your opportunity um, to share with us some things that we can be praying for, perhaps um, for you personally, particularly as you kind of move towards this next stage in your life, but also for the church and and for the parish. uh, What would be good things for us to be praying for? First of all, a smooth transition mm. from, uh, especially because I've been there for 25 years, that people are uh, rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus and not rooted and grounded in Simon. Yes. Um, so that they see that I was um, a passing phase, mm-hmm. um, but the Lord is eternal. So that they're able to actually be there and ready to serve and and to work with their new rector. Yeah. Um, and for us as well, that we will be able to cope with the transition of being very busy to wondering what to do with our time. <laughs> Are you wondering what to do with your no, time? No, not in the slightest. <laughs> Is there anything you'd add to that, though, in terms of uh, things we could be praying for? Um, I'll chip in. uh, I'd like us to pray for our young children's work, and especially for that cohort of of youngsters, as they turn into teenagers, Mm -hmm. that we will be able to keep their interest and keep their, their, their liveliness, you know, that we don't want to see it dissipated. There's so mm. much there. Um, and I don't think they realise how much they've got, and it's so easy to lose it, mm. um, both from our perspective and theirs. And for the leaders who have faithfully mm. worked with the teenagers mm. for yeah. years now. And for new leaders to be raised up to yes. actually help with the work. Yes, wonderful. Well, we'll certainly be uh, praying for those things and, and for the church as we go through, uh, as it, yeah, go through that process of um, interregnum and a, a new appointment. And, and it, it is a big change, isn't it? I guess there will be many people there um, who have only known you as, as their vicar or certainly a significant portion of their Christian lives. And as much as we know we don't depend on other people, we depend on the Lord, it, it is very hard and things will change. Somebody new will will be different and do things differently. And um, Probably much better. <laughs> well, but even so, it's hard to let go of, of what you've always known, isn't it? Mm. And so I think that's a really testing time for a church where its faith is and, um, yeah, what it what it actually has as its priorities, whether it's some of those external things or, or whether it's really in the Lord. So, yeah, we'll certainly be praying uh, for that uh, and for you to find something to do with your time. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure Diane will find things for you to do with... <laughs> I still hope the Lord might. Yeah, it's much more likely. (laughs) Great. Thank you so much, both of you, for talking to us. Thank you. I always enjoy it when I get to do a podcast recording in person. It was great to do that with Simon and Diane at the Fellowship of Word and Spirit conference last month. Our next conference is coming up in May. That's our annual Church Society Day conference. We're hosting that this year at Christchurch Mayfair in London on the 18th of May. That's a Saturday. We hope as many people as possible will be able to join us for that. You can find all the details of it on the Church Society website. The theme of the conference this year is Redeeming Love and Faith. We'll be thinking about uh, what the Bible has to say about sex and sexuality. We'll be looking at some 
some pastoral uh, applications of that. I'll be doing a session on eschatology and sex, uh, which I, I love uh, the title that we have for that, which is Sex and the Heavenly City. Um, and then Lee Gatiss will be ending the day with a look at contending uh, for the true faith of the gospel in the Church of England. Um, it should be a great day. Uh, we do hope you will uh, be able to join us for that. And if you are a podcast listener and you come to that event, do come and say hello. Uh, I love uh, hearing from people who listen to the podcast. You don't have to be a Church Society member to come to the conference, but you do have to be a Church Society member to take part in the annual general meeting, which we will also hold on that day. We don't um, we don't throw non-members out of the building. You're allowed to be there, but you're not allowed to vote or speak at that meeting. If you are a Church Society member and you'd like to come to the AGM, you don't have to book into the conference to do that. You can just turn up at half past 12 and join us for the meeting. Uh, and obviously there's no charge for that. If you enjoy the podcast, if you're interested in what we do as Church Society, you might want to just check out the website, see what it, uh, what becoming a member entails. Uh, you do have to pay an annual subscription to be a member, but for that, uh, you get a number of resources. You get our quarterly magazine uh, and other things uh, as well. It's a great way to show your support for Church Society uh, and the work that we're trying to do uh, strengthening uh, local churches in the Church of England in biblical faith and doing what we can to help shape uh, the Church of England now and for the future. As I say, there's more information about all of that uh, on our website. Thanks so much for listening and do tune in again next week. <laughs>